You can turn with me then to our sermon text, which is Genesis 49. Genesis chapter 49, verses 1 through 28. So most of the chapter is also on the back of the sermon insert. Genesis 49. Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together, that I may tell you what shall happen to you in days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the firstfruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence, because you went up to your father's bed. Then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are in their hands. Sorry, weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. O my glory, be not joined to their company, for in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob, and scatter them in Israel. Judah, your brothers shall praise you, your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies, your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, till tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Binding his fold to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, He has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. Zebulun shall dwell at the shore of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships and his border shall be at Sidon. Issachar is a strong donkey crouching between the sheepfolds. He saw that a resting place was good and that the land was pleasant, so he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant at forced labor. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that his rider falls backward. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. Raiders shall raid Gad, but he shall raid at their heels. Asher's food shall be rich, and he shall yield royal delicacies. Naphtali is a doe let loose that bears beautiful fawns. Joseph is a fruitful bow, a fruitful bow by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the God of your father who will help you, by the Almighty who will bless you with the blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessings of the breasts and of the womb, the blessing of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents, up to the bounties of the everlasting hills." 
May they be on the head of Joseph, and on the brow of him who is set apart from his brothers. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf, in the morning devouring the prey, and at evening dividing the spoil. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them, as he blessed them, blessing each with the blessing suitable to him. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Join with me in prayer. O Lord, our God, we give thanks to you for your, uh, your promises in holding forth to us uh, a future and a hope. We pray that you would uh, continue to uh, preserve us and that we might rejoice with your people and uh, to uh, be blessed as you bless them. We pray that you would use this word to encourage us to build up the saints uh, to do the work that you intended it for. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are almost to the end of the book of Genesis. Uh, This is the 69th sermon. We'll we'll have one more sermon after this, uh, coming to the close of the book. Uh, I'm going to be preaching from Philippians 2 next Sunday, and then we'll, we'll finish with Genesis and the last day of the year. But Genesis is a book of beginnings. Even here at the end of the book, it is still looking forward to what would happen in the future. Uh, it is not done yet. Uh, there is much to come. The whole book is laying the foundation for all that follows in the course of the rest of the Bible and the the rest of this age and the age which is to come. Genesis began with the creation of all things. Then Adam and Eve sinned by eating the forbidden fruit, but God began making gracious and redemptive promises right away. He spoke not only of the curse of death that had been promised for sin, but also of creating enmity between the serpent and the woman, between the serpent's offspring and the woman's offspring, and how Uh, A man from the woman would crush the serpent's head, even as the serpent crushed his heel. These themes would continue in the history of God's covenant people throughout Genesis, as he separated them from the serpent's domain, from the devil's domain, and promised to bless them and to bless all the nations of the earth through the promised offspring. They needed to turn away from the serpent's ways and to follow God Almighty, believing his promises. In this passage, the future of Israel's sons is described. Verses 1 through 2 show us that these sayings are prophecies. Israel told his sons what would happen to them in days to come. Literally, the latter days or the last days, phrase used elsewhere in prophecy. And you can tell from this context, it doesn't always mean the few years before Christ returns. Uh, but, but a more distant future, um, looking to Israel in the land, and even beyond that, to the coming of Christ. This is what would happen. Israel speaks as a prophet. Like a prophet, he earlier had seen visions, God had spoken to him, uh, he had heard the word of the Lord. Now he speaks as God's oracle to his sons on his deathbed. Verse 28 at the end of this passage teaches us that these prophecies referred 
uh, not merely to individuals, but to the multi-generational future of these sons, to the, to the tribes, uh, to the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, that's what it says at the end here. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel, uh, these sons that he has been speaking about. And so he speaks of the future of, of the tribes uh, that would come from these sons. These prophecies were also blessings, blessings each suitable for the one uh, who it is spoken to. Now, you might look at some of them and feel like not all of them are blessings, uh, but all of these sons are still included in the heritage of Israel, and that itself is a blessing. And we'll look at them in a little more detail as we go along. We learn from these prophecies, first of all, to beware the examples of Reuben, Simeon, and Levi. Uh, Secondly, that God's people will endure conflict and receive his blessing. And thirdly, that God's people shall have a victorious king from the tribe of Judah. In other words, God's people are turned to turn aside from the serpent's ways, to look to God for blessing amid conflict, and in particular to look to the king God would raise up for his people, namely Jesus Christ. So let's begin with the first point, that is to beware the examples of Reuben, Simeon, and Levi, uh, to heed uh, the examples and the rebuke uh, that is mentioned here. First, in verses 3 through 4, it speaks of Reuben. Reuben was the firstborn, but he lost his preeminence because he had defiled his father's bed. He had committed sexual immorality uh, with Uh, one of his father's concubines. We read about that earlier. Uh, The lesson here is to not let your privilege lead you into pride. Reuben had a privileged position. He was the firstborn. Uh, He was uh, in line to receive the the double portion and the preeminence among the brothers. In fact, verse 3 speaks very highly. Firstborn, my might, the firstfruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. This is what he had coming to him. But it seems that that led him instead uh, to pride and to take that which was not his. Those who have status and responsibility should be careful to take it seriously, to be stable and not, like Reuben, unstable as water. Verse 4 rebukes him for his disgraceful instability having had sexual relations with his father's concubine. This was sin on multiple levels, you know, uh, uh, fornication, adultery, incest. You could name several things per here. It was probably motivated both by an element of pride as a power move against his father, as well as uh, lust, gratifying this sinful desire for a woman that was off limits to him. Uh, Now, it also was in contrast to one of his other brothers. Joseph had resisted. Potiphar's wife, uh, and had demonstrated a different way. Now, Reuben uh, repented. He changed over the years. He continued to be included in the covenant, even in this blessing, but there were consequences for his actions. He lost that status as the firstborn. These consequences would not only teach him, show his father's disapproval of this conduct, but it would also teach future generations to avoid such actions, to teach Reuben's tribe, to teach all the tribes 
that this is not the way Israelites were to live. Uh, They were set apart unto God as a holy nation. They were to be different than the nations around them, to be holy in their actions. And so it's a lesson for you and me today as well. This is written for our instruction. Learn the lesson to beware of pride and lust. Do not be as unstable as water, especially if you are placed in a high position. Do not be puffed up in pride and so take what is not yours. The bonds of marriage must be honored. Sexual intimacy reserved for marriage. Uh, These are the ways of the people of God. The next two brothers are also spoken of in a similar way for a different reason. Simeon and Levi were scattered because of their anger and violence at Shechem. The lesson here is to beware of fierce anger and cruel wrath and unlawful violence. These things had marked Cain and Lamech and had filled the earth before the flood. Violence had filled the earth, unlawful violence. Simeon and Levi, for their part, had unjustly massacred the men of Shechem after the city's prince had seduced and defiled their sister Dinah. Their actions went far beyond the penalty that was just, that we later see in God's law. Uh, This vengefulness contrasted with the peacemaking ways of Joseph, of Jacob, of Isaac, of Abraham, the heritage of Israel. Uh, And uh, Jacob uh, makes it clear that he did not consent to this action. Uh, Oh, my glory, be not joined to their counsel. And so they also lost the right of firstborn, which might have come to them after Reuben's disqualification. Instead, they were scattered and divided. Like Reuben, they, were, they, re, they repented, they were included in the covenants, and yet there were consequences for their actions. This would teach the future generations of Israel to avoid such actions. This was not the way God's people was to live. Now, rebuke and discipline is ultimately for the good of God's people. That's another reason why these were, in fact, blessings. In the end, Levi learned to use violence rightly, siding with God in Exodus 32 when Moses said, Who is on the Lord's side? And the sons of Levi came to his side. And also in Numbers 25, when Phinehas, uh, the, the Levite, the priest, uh, took a stand uh, stabbing to death the, the man who was taking uh, the Midianite princess. You could look into the details there in Numbers 25, but significantly, in both cases, they sided with God even against their brothers, and even, in the case of Phineas, against a Simeonite, uh, no longer uh, living in the same way, but standing by the Lord and uh, being, abiding by his law. Also, their being scattered and divided meant uh, it was a, a, a discipline upon them, but uh, in Exodus and Deuteronomy, this was used for their good and the good of God's people as they were scattered as priests, as, as the Levites, to, to teach Israel uh, God's law and to administer the, the worship of God. Likewise, Simeon was scattered. Uh, they were a small tribe, especially after what happened in Numbers 25, but they were scattered in Judah. It was a good place to be scattered, a place that would endure 
uh, place under the, the kingship of, of David. Um, and they would also be blessed in this way. So do not resent the discipline of the Lord, but humble yourself when you meet with it and look to his mercy. And beware their sins. Beware the sin of Simeon and Levi. Beware of anger and cruelty in your hearts. Uh, There is, is much evil that comes from that. It is a dangerous passion. So turn aside from the serpent's ways and do not let them gain a foothold. Rather, Put away these things and put on humility and righteousness and self-control. The second thing we learn in these blessings, not only to beware these previous actions that um, had been recounted in Genesis and are now uh, clearly uh, rebuked, but also we learn that God's people will endure conflict and receive God's blessing. Let me briefly go through some of these uh, other sons. Judah, we're going to talk about more in a little bit, but he'll be the future ruler of Israel and victorious, and all the peoples will obey him. Zebulun will dwell in the north by the shore of the sea, although it's a little unclear whether that's the Sea of Galilee or the Mediterranean Sea, or simply referring to be a link between the two. Issachar enjoyed good land in the north, uh, but was also subject to others, that he would submit to paying tributes to some of the other inhabitants of the land, but would enjoy good land nonetheless. Uh, Dan would judge his people by a small but mighty force, something exemplified by one famous Danite, uh, Samson, uh, who would be like a sniper in the path that would send the horsemen reeling. Here, a serpent is spoken of in relatively positive terms, at least not in a negative term, much as Jesus said, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. In verse 18, in the middle here, uh, Israel uh, turns us to, to God and says, I wait for your salvation, O Lord. An expression of faith and hope amid talk of conflict, especially because right before that, right after that, he's speaking of conflict. His descendants are going to have difficulty here. They're going to have enemies. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. He's looking to God for deliverance and salvation. And then verse 19, Gad. He'll, he'll hold his own. He'll be out on the eastern side where uh, the Ammonites and the Ishmaelites live, and there will be raiders who raid him, but he'll raid them too. He, he will stand firm. He will hold his own. Uh, they lived in Gilead on the eastern border, and First Chronicles 5 mentions in the days of Saul how Gad and the other eastern tribes would fight and defeat the Hagarites. Now verse 20, uh, Asher uh, speaks of him, how he would enjoy fertile land. It would be along the Mediterranean in the north and would raise delicacies. Someone which uh, Solomon would even send to other kings, royal delicacies. Naphtali would be free like a doe let loose that bears beautiful fawns. Uh, that would be near Galilee. Not exactly sure what to make of that. It's a little obscure, but uh, it sounds generally good be like a doe let loose, bearing beautiful fawns. And Joseph gets uh, the, the many verses here. Joseph and Judah kind of uh, anchor the, the blessings here and receive the most attention. Uh, Joseph had received that right of the firstborn from Reuben. We saw that last week, that he got the double portion by his first two sons being adopted as full heirs. Uh, he receives a great blessing. 
God would bless him greatly. He had been already blessed by God, standing firm as others attacked him. Uh, and that same God would, would bless him still. And several descriptions of God here. The mighty one of Jacob, the shepherd, the stone of Israel. And then lastly, Benjamin. Uh, he would be a ravenous wolf, a tribe that would have aggressive warriors. That could be good or bad, depending on what they're doing, but we do find that in the later course of history in, in Israel. Now, first note that there's some variety among God's people. So there's general themes that we'll, we can generalize among uh, God's people, but there's also variety. Not all the tribes met with the same challenges or the same blessings or were themselves the same as others. Each one received something suitable to them. Likewise, there's variety in the experience of the church today. Not all Christians are the same. Not all Christians receive the same degree of persecution or hostility. Not all Christians receive, receive the same blessings or the same degree of blessings in this life. Uh, and so there's reason to uh, rejoice with one another as we see the blessing of each as, as something that God's people receives, to not envy one another. But looking at the general themes, we find that there is conflict. Uh, Both the blessing on Judah, Dan, Gad, Joseph, and Benjamin all refer to enemies or conflict. Even after they settle in the land, there would be conflict. Throughout this age, until the coming of Christ, God's people will more or less uh, be prone to trials and hostility and the, the hatred of the fallen world, even as they fill the land. The world and the flesh and the ancient serpents continue to strive against the church, the offspring of the woman. Um, we are not a, the church is not a political organization like, like Israel anymore, but in different forms receives opposition and calls for endurance. This theme calls forth Israel's prayer in the middle of his blessings. I look, I wait for your salvation, O Lord. So endure the conflict with the same faith, looking to the Lord. There's also the theme of blessing. Blessings are foretold and pronounced upon the sons. Some tribes are notable for their good land, others for their victory in battle. Joseph receives both victory in battle and blessings of great land. All of these blessings, many of them are what we would call earthly blessings, referring to, to the things of this life. But... Even those were to be received as signs of God's favor and grace, as signs of his covenant loyalty to them and his fatherly care for them. And the fatherly care, the covenant loyalty, those things were not merely earthly. Those would extend beyond death. God blesses his people uh, now and forever. Another common theme is that of God Almighty, especially in Joseph's blessing. Israel extols his God. He is the mighty one of Jacob. He is the shepherd, as he said last chapter. He is the stone of Israel. Is there perhaps a reference to the stone he set up at Bethel? I'm not sure, but the stone is one that is firm and dependable. Uh, He is not only for Joseph, but he is uh, the God of Israel the God of your father. Indeed, for all who had been grafted on, who have been grafted on to the people of Israel by faith. 
And finally, all of these sons had a place in Israel. There's some variety, yet they all received a share in the inheritance of their father. They were part of the people. They had a place in the land, representing their place in the kingdom of God under his care. Even Simeon and Levi, who were scattered, were scattered in Jacob, in Israel. So God receives sinners by grace today and gives them an everlasting place in his church and in his kingdom. So look to God for blessing amid conflict. Look to him as your mighty one, following him as your shepherd. Though you experience conflict, God will maintain his people. Thirdly, God's people shall have a victorious king from the tribe of Judah. Jesus Christ. Israel looked to the Lord for his salvation, and he would provide that through the line of Judah. Ephraim the, and the tribe of Joseph would later falter in the day of the judges. Benjamin would supply a king, uh, but he too would be rejected. That's Saul. Uh, but Judah then would receive the position of the firstborn of Israel, uh, the next in line among Leah's sons. And this is even foretold in this prophecy. Israel prophesied that a king would arise from Judah, that is, one bearing a scepter, uh, the ruler's staff. Uh, even before the Israelites came up with the idea of a king, God had already prophesied, even promised to Abraham that he would have descendants who would be kings. Well, now we know it's from the line of Judah. This prophecy initially pointed to King David, but then ultimately to his descendant, Jesus Christ. So Israel says Judah's brothers would praise him and bow down before him. Judah means praise, not only praise God, but praise Judah, that is, the one who comes from Judah. And the Judean king would be victorious over his enemies. And we see both those themes in in Psalm 110, that not only will the people be made willing in the day of his power, you know, through conversion, through regeneration, that we are made willing to serve our king, that he rules in our hearts so that we submit to his commands, we follow his lead, um, that we are brought out of darkness into light to serve him, that we bow down before him, we praise him as our king, and also that he overcomes his enemies, he slaughters kings in the day of his wrath, that he overcomes all those who persist in their opposition to him that he conquers and restrains all his and our enemies. He will have the hand on the neck of his enemies. He not, this not only refers to earthly enemies that would seek to kill uh, our bodies, to kill God's people, but remember that even the early chapters of Genesis taught us that the most fundamental enemies were, the, were sin, uh, the serpent, and the sentence of death. And so we are taught to take refuge in King Jesus, to praise him and to bow down to him as one of his brothers. The king from Judah would be mighty, victorious, and regal like a lion. So a lion. Judah will be like a lion. Lions would adorn Solomon's throne be a symbol of the king. I mean, that's pretty typical. What's the king of the forest? A lion. He, Jesus is called the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is dignified, powerful, fierce. Who
Who dares rouse him? Who dares pick a fight with Jesus? Oh, people do pick a fight with Jesus, but they will lose. Who dares rouse the lion? Uh, You'd rather let the sleeping lion lie. When he arises, his enemies flee before him. Those who remain hostile to him will be torn to pieces, but his people will dwell secure. So submit to the Son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. It's good to have a powerful king, uh, one who will deliver and save. Now in verse 10, in the second half, there is a disputed line. Ancient and modern translations have differed on whether to translate it until tribute comes to him, until he comes to whom it belongs, or until Shiloh comes. Um, In any case, the reign of Judah's line shall not fail, but shall culminate with the Christ, whether the Christ is being described uh, by the tribute being brought to him, or as he to whom it belongs, or as Shiloh, like Shiloh might be uh, a title or name for him. But the idea is not here speaking of David, because that's when the line of Judah begins to be king, but that this shall continue, that the scepter shall remain in Judah until this point, and it'll culminate in the obedience of the peoples being brought to him, uh, that it shall not fail. And of course, we find that David is made king, and that God promises to him that his dynasty will remain forever, that there is a covenant made, and that David's heir would make the people secure, would build God's house, and receive an everlasting kingdom. And even after David died and his sons would take the throne and uh, the kingdom would go on, the prophets continued to build up this expectation like we saw in Micah 5 or we could see in Isaiah 9. And then even after the kingdom of Judah fell and they went into exile and it seemed, well, perhaps it was over. What happened to this promise? But the prophets continued to expand on this, that David will be your shepherd still. There will be a king from the line of of David in Ezekiel 34:37 that the the crown shall be removed and things overturned until he comes to whom it belongs the scepter continued to belong by right to Judah and so it was in the city of David uh, by a descendant of David that the king of Israel the king of the Jews was born and that was Jesus Christ as the ga- angel Gabriel told Mary The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And so through this personification of the whole people, this head of the people, this king, the promises would be fulfilled, that blessings would be given to all the nations, that all the peoples would would serve him and would obey him, that Uh, They shall bring tribute to him, that they will bow down before him. Psalm 72 uh, continues to expand on this theme. He will be great to the ends of the earth. And so let all peoples come and worship Jesus, as the wise men did following his birth, paying homage to the king of the Jews. In Matthew 28, what was true of the wise men is said to now should be true of all the nations, as the disciples go out and bring them to King Jesus. May all the peoples obey him. May the Americans obey and bow the knee and submit to Christ in word and deed. As you come to Christ, bring your people with you. 
Isaiah 2 says, they'll say to their neighbors, come, let us go to the house of the Lord. Uh, Let us learn his ways. Let us walk in his paths. Gain a vision for the triumph of Christ over the nations. Do you believe that to him shall be the obedience of the peoples? Or maybe just a few people here and there. He won't even get Israel. That's what some people think. Or maybe he will receive the obedience of all the peoples. And that both Jew and Gentile uh, will come uh, to uh, the king in time. As the gospel goes forth, as people are converted to him. This process has begun and it moves onward. So pray and work for his kingdom uh, with hope. In verses 11 through 12, paints a picture of abundance. The idea of binding a donkey's colt to the choice vine communicates abundance. What do you think a donkey's going to do if it's bound up to a grapevine? It's probably going to eat all the grapes, right? You have so many grapes to spare, though. And also, I don't know if you see many vines, but do you think a donkey could maybe break a vine? I mean, it's supposed to be a pretty good vine for it to be used as your hitching post for your donkey's colt. Uh, so there's abundance promised here. Now, the image of riding on a donkey's colt will later be picked up by Zechariah's prophecy of Zion's king who would come to Jerusalem riding on a donkey's colt, which Jesus purposefully uh, did to align himself with that prophecy. I am your coming king. Likewise, the imagery of his garments and vesture being washed in wine, the blood of grapes, is an image of prosperity. You have so much wine that you could wash your clothes with it, Right? Um, but it's also an image picked up to describe the victorious Lord with garments red with blood in Isaiah 63 and Revelation 19. Jesus is a glorious king bringing victory and blessing. Now, consider these prophecies. When were they given? They were given as Israel was dying and uh, they were in Egypt. It was hard enough to believe that they would make it back to Canaan. But then considering beyond that to this future in the land, and beyond that, a king who would receive the obedience of all the peoples. It would be hundreds of years before even King David came around. I forgot to calculate it, but say 700, 800 years that they would be expecting a king to come from Judah. And then a thousand years after that, that King Jesus would come. But the people would look forward to what God would provide, waiting for his salvation, and by that faith, receiving his salvation, even as we look by faith to receive Christ our King. This King, this long-expected Lion of Judah, has been born in the city of David. He has been given the throne of his father David to reign forever, saving his people, subduing his enemies, defeating the devil, that ancient serpent. We, of course, are waiting still for the full culmination of his victory and his kingdom. If Israel could wait centuries or many years, thousands of years, we too see his work, look back upon his work, and also look to the blessed hope, the coming of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. There is more to come. So we look at these prophecies, these blessings, learn from them to heed Israel's rebuke of Simeon, uh, Levi, and Reuben, turn aside from the serpent's ways of, of pride and lust and malice and murder, 
also remember that God's people will endure conflict as well as blessing. So look to God for blessing amid conflict. And lastly, God's people has a victorious king, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Look to the king God has raised up for his people, Jesus Christ. He is the eternal son of God, who also became the son of David, that he might deliver his people from their sins. He has conquered and now reigns at the Father's right hand. Come, let all the peoples now bow before him and praise him. Let all the peoples trust in him and learn to observe his commandments. The scepter is his, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. To him, with the Father and the Spirit, be glory and dominion, both now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your word, which has upheld your people in ages past through the centuries and generations, that you are faithful, that you have visited your people and raised up a horn of salvation in the house of David, that you have fulfilled the prophecies of old and remembered the covenant with Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, may serve you without fear and holiness and righteousness all our days. We pray that you would continue to build up your people in this hope that we might serve him joyfully, that you would bring the nations in to be blessed in him, to take refuge in him, that you would bring to pass that which you have prophesied and which you have foretold. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.